Well, I put this on the front page of the notes that I brought, so I want you to do it. This is a homework assignment that I would like you to do tonight. I was praying, um, well, if you talk and everything, I don't want you not to be able to talk and have fellowship. But tomorrow morning, either by yourself or if you have sons with your sons, one of the interesting psalms, I don't fully understand it. Um, I love it. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's a warfare psalm. It's Psalms 91. And I would just like you and, and your sons, if you're here, to work on that. Just verse 1. What does it mean? What does it mean to dwell with? What's a secret place? Who's the most high? What's abide mean? What's the shadow? What does the name Almighty mean? You were at Knoxville. I was hitting the names of God. In fact, I hit them out at, at, at uh, the California Chia Convention, and they asked me to do it at Illinois next week or next month. So would you do the names of God thing that you did at the God thing? So, or hitting them with the names of God. But these names are important. And uh, just sit down and look at that. Because are you dwelling there? Do you have a secret place? Are you abiding in that place? Are you under the shadow? As dads, we need that, don't we? We need that. Our family needs that. You know, um, maybe this will help you. We've mentioned this. When we got rid of our TV, I was the only one watching it. My wife wouldn't watch it. My daughters wouldn't watch it because they started using um, modified swearing. It really isn't swearing, but cursing. You know what I mean? Just not to say the words. But I thought, well, it's not all that bad. And uh, my son was watching Sesame Street, and he came running out of there one day. He was four. He came running out of there, and I said, Richard, you left the TV on, and you need to turn it off. And he said, well, Daddy, they're playing bad music. And I said, what? No, bad music. What do you know about bad music? You know, Gothard's Purple Book wasn't out yet. You know, what do you know, four-year-old, about bad music? So I, I, I went in there, and here was this. It was Sesame Street, which I thought was a good thing. You know, have your kids taught by a big bird. And uh, <clears throat> it was homeschooling, you know. And, uh, and here was this little rock band playing, you know, puppets. And he flat out of it. Why? He never heard that music before. And as a four-year-old, he thought that was bad music. We have a wonderful book at our office. I was going to bring so much stuff with me, and it's not here. But when you get old, you'll forget stuff, too. I did bring my bridge. <laughs> my wife says, you forgot to take your bridge. said, I want to wear it out. He goes, oh, Jim. <laughs> anyway, the two of us make one person. But we have a wonderful book at our office. And we have a, it's a 700 number, but it's a free number. And it's called Be Careful Little Ears. It's the best book I've ever read on how to evaluate contemporary Christian music. Got this book is shot down by music men. That's it. All it is is full of, of um, testimonies. There isn't any substance in it. There isn't any music substance in it. The Bob Jones one... Um, it's been shot down too. And this one, she takes some of Gothard, some of Bob Jones, and she puts it together. 
She, she's from St. Louis. Her pastor is an ATI pastor. They're not an ATI family. Her husband is a lawyer. They published the book themselves. That's why you can't get it in a bookstore. But when, uh, one of the alert guys sent it to me and said, I think you want to offer this to people. And how do I evaluate music? It's so good. You don't get a list. You know, is it okay to listen to Sandy Patty on these, but not Sandy Patty on those? Or it's okay to listen to this guy or that guy? I don't know who these people are. So it's, a, it's, it's the best thing out there, and it's not that expensive. They published it themselves because no one would publish it. Oh, i got to tell you this one. This is really good. Uh, I was uh, Neil Anderson asked me to do a video with him on children. Well, I told Bill afterwards I wish I hadn't. But Neil's a good friend of mine. But I went out there, and it was, we, I flew out to California. They had Johanna Michelson, who is really a sharp person. I really enjoyed her. I mean, she was sitting on my next to me. We were on a big platform and was done with television and, you know, all of the, it was a big production thing. And she was really sharp. I carried her notes, 40 pounds of notes of how the new age is getting into school. 40 pounds of them. She said, you could carry it in for me. And this gal's really, she wrote uh, Lamps of the Slaughter. Um, really an excellent person. Her, her sister is Hal Lindsay's wife and her husband's Hal Lindsay's assistant pastor. So you have yeah, sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws as pastor and assistant pastor. Well, then there was a youth pastor at Hare, clear down to here. You know, pulled back in a pony thing and very nicely waved all the way down here. I'm going, what am I doing on this platform with this guy? You know, <laughs> he needs a good Baptist haircut, you know. And then there was another guy sitting across from me. And so Neil is saying, well, Jim Logan is probably the most conservative of all of us here. And uh, I haven't come because uh, he is with Child Evangelism Fellowship, or was with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and has worked with you know kids all over the United States and all over the world and all this stuff. And uh, he also travels with Bill Gothard. And when he said, I travel with Bill Gothard, this guy across from me gave me a strange look. And I thought, hmm, I guess it isn't one of Bill's friends. And so we got through this initial you know, videoing, and... Uh, this guy came up to me and he said, I travel with Al Marconi or Al Macaroni or whatever his name is, Al something or other. And he said, Al was a youth pastor with Bill and he doesn't like Bill. And I've got anti-Bill Gothard literature here about uh, Bill Gothard and his terrible stand against music. Would it offend you if I give it out? I said, no, it's what you're, you know, that's your organization. You ought to give it out. And he said, you want to know something? He said, Bill Gothard has gone so far off the deep end. He is saying he has connected demons with Christian rock music. I said, no. He said, yes, he has. He, I said, what do you suppose he's getting at? He said, I don't know. I said, I do from me. <laughs> I loved it. I just loved being there. I thought, oh. It's fun, guys. It's fun, you know. <clears throat> but this book will really help you. And it can help people in your church. She has you go on a music fast at the end, which I love. That's what I have kids do that come to us. But it's amazing uh, when, when we have teenagers, and the very last thing we do is we pray that God would reveal whether they're free or not. Because I don't know if a person's free. What, you know, you just look like the same person. Only God knows what's going on in the inside, and he can give that witness. And kids will say, Logan, I'm not free. And I said, you know why? They said, no, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you why you're not free. And we pray. And say, God, what is it? Why is it that, that there's a heaviness still in their heart? They don't have peace. They don't have inner freedom. There's still that something wrong inside. Your Holy Spirit revealed that. What is it? And almost every time the kids look up and say, it's music, Logan. I don't really want to give my music to God. 
I said, well, then I guess you have to keep your demons. You're not free. And you know you're not free. God did not give you that witness. You know it. And you're going to have to reveal, uh, give your music to God. And they do. Because at that time, who they don't want anything like this. And then they pray and they give it. And I said, now you need to put your music under the direction of your parents. Don't ask me what you can listen to and not listen to. It's not my jurisdiction, is it? It's not my... Because a lot of music is 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 uh, opinions. Bill Gothard likes Smoky Mountain music. Well, I found something really good to do with Smoky Mountain music. And I have a Nordic track. And it's really good to keep up the pace by playing Smoky Mountain music while you're doing the Nordic track. But outside of that, it doesn't relate to me. It doesn't that Bill Gothard has lousy music standards. But see, some music is preference, isn't it? I mean, some people do like the more, especially people down. Are you ever driven to the South? Oh, brother. And you get the Christian radio stations? And you get these quartets? And it sounds like one guy's got his shoes too tight? And oh, brother. I can't stand it. I go, this is horrid. This, this is torture, you know? <clears throat> the people live down here are going through purgatory. <clears throat> I just not into southern music. I'm sorry, uh, southern gospel. It's not. And I'm not saying southern gospel's wrong or whatever. I'm just saying it's not my stuff. Uh, in fact, I don't listen to Christian music hardly at all. Now, I want you to put some things down, dads. If you write this down, number one about blessings. Now, what we're going to do when we talk about when we get into working on blessings, we're going to get rid of the kids. Um, see, the danger of having the kids here. There's a danger of them being here. And that is, when they hear some of this stuff, and you don't do it, you, you know, is that right? Am I right? Because, see, their hope deferred makes what? The heart's sick. Dad's going to do this. Dad's going to do this. Dad's going to do this. Um, so when we actually get down to some of the stuff, I'd like to get rid of the kids, and Ed's going to take them, and um, they're going to pass out tracks over uh, and do something. And uh, we'll work together on this whole thing. I'm not I'm just kidding you guys. You're not going to pass out tracks. Um, number one, the first thing about blessings. And as I said, I, I put this material with throw it in here. So some of it's going to overlap, all from different places and so on. But I was so burdened as I look over 10 years sitting in that counseling office, counseling Christian families that kids don't care. It just tears your heart out. See, as a priest of Christ, You, as a father, because you are a priest, can perform a wonderful service to your kids by taking them into your arms and blessing them. Go to Mark 10. Okay, the young man right there that's writing with the blue shirt on, I want you to read, stand up and read out loud for all of us. Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Isn't that beautiful? See, Bible 
the, the parents in Bible days didn't bring their children to Jesus so he would play with them or that he would teach them. Why'd they bring them? So Jesus would bless them. There's something to really learn there. When is a child old enough to come to Christ for salvation? We got that at CEF. You know, pastors just say, no child, no one can receive Christ under 12. I didn't know they were still believing that today. But they are. There's some who believe that. You can't be saved until you're at least 12. Mr. Oberholzer, who's, who founded CEF, was a dunkard. Um, and when he was a small child, he asked his mother how he could be saved, and she said he wasn't old enough. He asked his dad how he could be saved. Like when he was six or seven, he wasn't old enough. He asked his pastor when he was eight years old how I could be saved. He wasn't old enough, and when he was 12, he didn't want to be. And spent many years without Christ because no one believed that a child could know the Lord Jesus. When is a child old enough to receive Christ? There's two passages in Scripture. There's not an age, you know, like, like uh, kids could be saved at eight or seven. It's, the, it's not an age of accountability. It's the age of comprehension. It says in Isaiah, when the child is old enough to refuse evil and to choose the good. It also says that in Deuteronomy. I do. Let's hope I put it in this Bible. <laughs> it's at the top of the page. Let's see. I'm sure I wrote at the top of the page. Because we had a T. Here it is. Age of Comprehension. You have the right Bible. It's on page 701. Um, <clears throat> it's verse 15 of chapter 7 of Isaiah. And it said, Butter and honey shall he not eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land, and so on and so on. So there's a time when a child doesn't know that. And there's a time when a child does know that. And uh, when our first child got saved, um, our oldest one was saved. She was like five, going on six, and her sister was like four. And we were doing those 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 viewmaster things, you know, click click. We we're doing the crucifixion. You know, you're looking at a 3D, and so she could really see the death of Christ and all this. And and so our oldest daughter is very sensitive, very you know, teary. Kind and she just oh she wanted to receive Jesus so she prayed and asked Jesus to come into her heart when she was about six and then her sister said me too I'm going oh I don't want to me too <laughs> we just well she really gets saved you know she's only four was she really get she's the one who became a missionary and she received the Lord a little over four years of age has never doubted her salvation because she just knew I mean she was ready uh, at that time and she but all of our kids received the Lord young age. Only one of them doubted it and cleared that up at 13 when I was teaching a Bible school at a church. Um, and so there, there is a right time, but there is, and I think you can't go too early once you realize that they have comprehension and so on um, to have them receive the Lord as their Savior. Uh, but don't, don't try to remind them. Remember when you were receiving the Lord? That kind of thing. Uh, that can be really bad. CEF taught this, and you know, CEF did not teach easy believism. 
Uh, they're one of the very few groups that put the blood of Christ in the salvation message. The navigators and crusade do not. Because without the shedding of what? There is no remission of sin. And that's why there's a red page in the wordless book. You've seen the wordless book, haven't you? You know who start, you know who, who the first person we know used the wordless book? Spurgeon. Spurgeon gave a message in a church on those colors. In the wordless book. That the, the, the blood page is very, very important. And the kids wouldn't understand that. So when CEF presents uh, the gospel to children, what they do then is they say uh, afterwards, um, if, if kids want to talk about this, they come forward and they, they say, what would you like Jesus to do for you? They don't say, you want to get saved, don't you? Because what will a kid do? Uh-huh. You know, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? My son has led, by the time he got out of high school, he had led hundreds of kids to Christ through CEF, several missionaries. You know, going out and doing the summer missionary work in the backyard and going from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor and stuff. So he was at one of these clubs. And a little boy raised his hand and, and uh, he was sitting up close to Richard. He said, well, what would you like Jesus to do for you? He said, let me go to the bathroom. <laughs> kids are fun. They're fun. I hope you guys get involved with kids. They're more fun than anything. And you see these little kids give their heart to Jesus. It's so beautiful. And just mean it with all their heart. So the second thing is, is is we look at is how this goes back to Christ. I mean, it was done, the, putting the blessings. I mean, not only back to Christ in the New Testament, but you got the Old Testament. You have when grandpa was dying, what do they do? Kids came and put their hand under the grandpa's thigh. And grandpa began to put blessings and so on. We'll look at that. The third point, God has given you the ability to do the same as a father. God has given you the ability to do the same. Just as Jesus, we look at Jesus, Matthew 10. Jesus took the children's arm and he blessed them. God has given us the same ability to do the same thing. The person where I got this from, I'm sorry I didn't put it down, but he said, blessed is a child who is blessed by an adult who knows how to bless. Okay, the second thing we want, that was just the introduction, blessings. The second one is the power of a blessing. How powerful is a blessing? The first point is the long-range effect of a blessing. Jacob, who received a parental blessing from his father, even though it was through deceit, but the blessing still had long-range effect for good on him and his descendants. I think one of the greatest blessings that you can be to your family, I'm going to say this and I'm going to contradict myself, so let me do it, is to be a godly man. But I'm going to, I'm going to contradict myself I was sharing this with Michael Lefebvre on the phone. I don't often hear from the Lord, if you know what I'm saying. You know, just get a thought from the Lord. I get it from the Word. I read the Word, and God speaks to me through the Word. It was in the middle of the night, and when you get to be old, guys, you don't sleep good. And I never sleep good on Sunday night because I never know how messed up the people are going to be on Monday morning. But what I do know is Sunday night, if I start having all kinds of sensual feelings, I know I've got a really messed up guy on Monday. And that will happen so often. I'll wake up 
And I'll just have all these sensual feelings, and I'm going, oh, brother, there's a real messed up guy coming tomorrow. <laughs> this stuff is coming from the, the motel downtown into the bedroom. You know, I just have those sensual feelings, and I have to pray out and ask God to remove them. Uh, and it's never failed. But I cry out, God, you know, I got these guys for one week. There are guys that have told me in the middle of the week, if they hadn't seen some beginning changes, they were going to kill themselves. I'm glad they didn't tell me the first part of the week. Because I've never freed anybody. And I've never given anybody victory. All I can do is give them scripture. God is the one who frees, and God is the one who gives victory. Um, but in when we got rid of the TV, as I mentioned a while ago, we realized that when you remove something from the family, you need to put something in its place where there's a big hole. And so we decided then to get uh, biographies and then our kids read the biographies looking for the principles in the lives of these people. Were they there? And if they weren't there, what was the struggles the person had? You know, how many did you see in their life? Did they ever ask anybody to forgive them? Um, what was their self-image like? Uh, if you read Mary Slester, she had a horrible self-image. Entered into an awful marriage that she should never have married. But if she had her self-image together, she wouldn't have entered into the marriage. And, so you see the consequences of violating the principles, and you see the blessings. And so our kids were looking for the principles. If these people, if these principles are absolutely non-optionable, then godly people, you've got to see them. I mean, if God used these people and you read in your life, it's got to be there, and you'll see them. And the, the book, my son doesn't realize, I, I read this book to him, and if you have little kids, Bill Gothard said this years ago, that children have a, a tendency to identify the hero of the story with the reader. So you guys read your kids some godly men. And my son did not know why John Payton was his favorite person. And he just said a wonderful message, just a phenomenal message. My son's an awesome speaker for such a young person. And I said, Richard, that was one of the, one of the most wonderful messages I've ever heard. It's about leaving a legacy. What does it take to leave a, leave a legacy? You know, you, you, he, he, he used John Payton and um, oh, the guy that um, that was in prison in Burma. Judson, yes. He, he characterized these two men because both these men left a legacy. But anyway... Um, when you read John Payton's life, he grew up in a very, very poor home. They just lived in a one-room little house with a little extension of a bedroom with just a curtain hanging on it. And the kids, they had a home business to, to make a living, and they did they made socks. And John Payton's father would go into that bedroom, and the curtain would come down, and he would kneel in there, and he would pray. And they had to be very quiet. And they would hear him pray. If you remember reading his biography, the town prostitute walked by and heard this man praying for her and she crept up to the window and wept and received Christ over his praying for the town prostitute as she was walking by. Didn't know she was there. And when John Payton went into the city, his dad would put a blessing on him and was waving a handkerchief. And he went into the city, a wicked city, with no parental, no relatives to make a living, and he said the one thing that kept him from doing evil was he did not want to disgrace his mother or his father. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your kids would leave 
and say, I would never want to do something with this face, my dad. That just doesn't happen. You don't pray it to happen. Something's got to be going on for that to happen. With And we're living in evil times, and we've always lived in evil times. Okay. The second thing is that angels can pronounce blessings. Remember the angel that came to Mary? Blessed art thou? Amongst women? Um, let's go to Deuteronomy 7.13. Okay. Uh, the young man with the white shirt and the blue stripes on his gets the privilege of reading that to us. Yes. Okay. Uh, start at verse 12. 12 or 13. I just want you to see something here. Wherefore it shall come to pass that if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and increase of thee thine kind, and the flocks of thy sheep in the land in which he swore unto thy fathers to give thee. Thank you. And there are many places in Scripture where God put the blessing. So we have the, a father can put a blessing. We have the long-range effect of blessing. Angels can bless. God can bless. What is a blessing? And I'll be giving you different definitions because I thought about this. What is a blessing? Someone sneezes and you say, God bless you. You know what I'm saying? Well, what, what is a blessing? Well, what are we talking about? Well, Mike Massey, terrible fellow. He sent me this check for a million dollars. million dollars. And then he signed it. Not at this time. Then he said, thanks a million. He was my prayer partner. Thanks a million. So I wrote him back. And I told him, you can't eat thanks. You can't wear thanks. You can't drive thanks. Keep your lousy thanks in money. <laughs> <laughs> but what is a blessing? There is a difference. And I was wrestling with this and praying through this because it's so vital as we see families falling apart. I think it's one of the keys to keeping families together. It's a blessing. It's, it's, we just don't see it today. There is a difference between blessing and praise. There's in Scripture. Just look. Look at the Psalms. Often blessing and praise may be in the same verse. Some of the definitions are going to give you by different ones that I've been reading and studying. Uh, Sometimes they sound a little more, more like praise. But praise, you know, did you guys get the gothic thing where the dad did all the stuff and the kids marked all that off and all of that? Remember that? that was, he really didn't put a blessing on his kids. What did he do? He praised them for what they did. Praise is usually about something someone does. But a blessing can just be period on a person whether they do anything or not. 
A blessing does not have to be earned. You earn praise. But a blessing is something that you can bestow, and they don't have to earn it. Now let me give you the definition, and then we'll go out for pie. I get to go first, in case you run out of strawberry pie. A blessing is making a pronouncement for good. So this is one of them. You may want to star them, so when you go through your notes, you'll see them. A blessing is making a pronouncement for good in harmony with the will of God. For protection, care, ministry, a sense of God's presence, direction, etc. We'll get many more, but this is just one. A blessing is making a pronouncement for good in harmony with the will of God for protection, care, ministry, a sense of God's presence, direction, etc. I never finished the one story I started. This night, I woke up at night and I've been reading the classics. I read a lot. Um, if you get my prayer letter, we encourage you to get a book on prayer. I've read probably 20 books or more on prayer since last November. And this is outstanding. It's so outstanding that my counselees start working through it. Developing the Secret Closet of Prayer by Burr. Awesome book on prayer. We have it at the office, but you can get that at a bookstore. And I was laying there, and these, these godly people really challenge your life. They're not easy reading, but I've been reading these godly, godly people. And, and I was just talking to the Lord in the middle of the night, and I said, God, I really desire to be a godly man. And God spoke to me so clear in my heart and said, wrong goal. Except he said, Logan, Godliness can lead to spiritual pride and legalism. Because godly people don't do this, don't do that. You know, they don't do a whole lot of things. But he said, Logan, I want you to know me. And there's a difference. Because as you move and you get to know God, he's able to put his finger on things in my life that are not like him. That's not the goal. The goal is to know him. I don't know if that speaks to you, but it really spoke to me. And I thought, that's right. Just give me 10 things not to do. You know, don't chew gum, don't kiss girls. What else? You know, <laughs> you know, don't wear colored shirts. You know, I won't do those things and I'll be okay. Right? You know what I mean? How easy it is to fall into that trap? And I'll do those things and I'm still not okay. But if I know God, then I'm, my spirit's open for God to tell me what's wrong in my life and what I need to deal with. <laughs> 